Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hello and welcome to Excellence Expected. My name is Mark Asquith. This week's episode is all about something that we all struggle with as a business owner and it's something that I personally really, really struggle with, the work-life balance. With me this week is someone who has seemingly conquered the work-life balance and who is going to share some tips on how you can also conquer that, even with a brand new baby. This week I'm joined by a freelance journalist, freelance PR consultant and a very successful blogger, Katie Portman, welcome. Hello. 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 <laughs> so, welcome to Excellence Expected. Thanks for doing this. This Pleasure. is it's something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but I haven't quite found the right person, someone that has very recently had a newborn baby and yep. Elsie is, is she two now? Yeah, she's, she's two. two. Yep. So, you've gone through I've gone through the brutal hard days <laughs> of uh, motherhood, I think. And you've come out the other side <laughs> yes, with a business hopefully. still intact. Yeah, just about. <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so today there are a lot of people out there that really struggle with the work-life mm-hmm. balance. And it's something that as I was sort of developing the show and asking people what they'd like to hear about, the work-life balance came up so, so much. And it came up from the perspective of business owners, people that are really, really struggling with kind of knowing where to cut things. So Mm -hmm. what do they give up? They don't want to obviously give up the family life and spending the time, especially with a newborn. Yeah. yeah. But also they kind of felt a little bit slave to the business and they couldn't quite remove themselves quite as quickly as they perhaps wanted to. So before we dig into that, and I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting chat, tell us about you. Where did you come from? Um, So in terms of my career, I took pretty much a traditional route. I did a degree in English. Um, After I graduated, I got my first job in media as a trainee journalist um, at Wongcliffe Publishing, which produced uh, B2B magazines. And it just kind of went from there, really. So I worked my way up from being a reporter to an editor um, and then decided after a few years that... There wasn't really anything much more that I could achieve where I was. Um, so I took on a PR role, um, which ended up becoming a, a marketing managing role. Um, so, yeah, so I went from there, kind of did PR and marketing for a few more years and then hit 30, which was a massive turning point for me. And is that all right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, sorry, I'm just seeing you pressing buttons. No, no, you're all right. Carry on. I'm just, uh, just tweaking. Okay. So, yeah, so I hit 30 big turning point and I ended up questioning my life and thinking what on earth am I doing I didn't feel I was um probably being as creative as what I wanted to be with my career um and had considered you know working as a freelancer for a while but I was always a little bit scared of it not sure how I'd manage financially not sure how I'd get working um so I kind of whinged on about it to my husband for a few months and I think he just got sick and tired of hearing me waffle on uh, gave me this book to read by Seth Godin called Lynchpin um I think I read it in a night or two nights and then the day after I handed him my notice literally wow. just like that yep um I just decided I was just gonna go for it give it a shot so I handed him my notice for four weeks four weeks notice left 
went freelance, had no clients in, no working, didn't even have a website, um, didn't have anything really. And it's just kind of gone from there. And when was that? That was um, just over four years ago. So 2010, July 2010, wow. I went freelance. Yeah, That's quite a bold move from, yeah. you know, from reading Lynchpin by Seth Godin. That's... That's some book. <laughs> it is. It, it really is. In fact, I recommend it to everybody. I'm always like, if, you, you know, if you're really struggling with your career, read this book because it's just, it's kind of all about, um, you know, doing something that you love and not being afraid, afraid of work and finding something that you love and making it out to be a success, basically. So, yeah, it was really powerful for me. Um, probably a very bold move. Some might say a little bit of a stupid move. Um, but yeah, it's worked, you know, four years plus and I'm, I'm here and I'm still doing really well. So can't grumble. Well, that's obviously not a stupid move then. I yeah, like yeah, it. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. Do you know, that's, it's a trend that is coming up more and more. The more we talk and excellence expected about yeah. where people came from and how they ended up being successful. Mm-hmm. I would, in fact, I will attest to probably 95% of those people saying that I did this because I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. Really? It's huge, yeah. yeah it seems yeah. to be such a cultural change, doesn't it? Yeah, it's- I think so. And I'm, to be honest, I'm pretty glad that it that it's happening. I think the days where people used to work down the mine, you know, five days a week and they live for the weekends or, you know, people are happy stacking shells every day. I think people now expect and want more out of life. And obviously you spend a great deal of your life at work. So it's important, I think, that you enjoy and that you're passionate about what you do. Otherwise, what's the point, really? There's the old quote, and it is to paraphrase, but it's the old, you know, if you find something that you enjoy, you'll never work a day in your life. And yeah. it's, it's becoming more and more paramount. I was talking to uh, Simon Hickton from Cornerstones on one of the previous episodes, mm-hmm. and he works in education. His company uh, okay. is all about education. Yeah, yeah. And especially in primary. And he was saying that more and more inside schools and more and more, even inside their own sort of curriculum, mm-hmm. they're advocating that, you know, well, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? Yeah. Let's kind of then figure out if you can make a career out of it and let's encourage that as opposed to what it was like when we were at school, which was, well, you kind of got to go through uni. You've kind of got to then just get a job. And it was, if you didn't do uni, you just had to get a job yeah. because you needed a job. Mm-hmm. And it was such a different mindset even 15 years later. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, there's obviously there's always that thing that you need to earn money to survive and to live, you know, and I've certainly taken on jobs um, in the past, which I've absolutely hated and I've been absolutely nowhere near what I've wanted to do or what I'm now doing. Um, you know, we all need to pay the bills at some point, but I think, you know, overall people, yeah, they, they, they want to do something which they love um, and I think when you do a job that you love and that you're passionate about, you know, you're better at it. And like you say, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and I think you become more successful as a result as well, if that makes sense. Because, you, you know, you're happy doing it, aren't you, really? Well, I think that's right. And I think a lot of the, the challenges that people face when they're kind of wanting to become more successful at mm-hmm. something, the challenges that from the outside look quite big perhaps aren't quite as big when you're inside the business because you actually you enjoy doing what you do. Yeah, so yeah. when you get to the point where there's a, a large hurdle to you, it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. So it's you see it quite a lot with very, very super successful people where people wonder how how have they got to that? And yeah. to them, it's just working. It's just doing what they do. It's enjoying the life. It's, yeah. not, it's not, I've achieved this, this and this. It's just, well, I just like it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really bizarre to see it. And I think... 
the more I talk to people on Excellence Expected, it is becoming a very common theme. People just finding something they love and just thinking, right, that's it. Yeah. We're done. We're going to give it a go. So I think that's really, it's really insightful to see that trend emerging. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And I also think things like, um, you know, coming from a blogger perspective, I've got quite a few friends who are, you know, they are professional bloggers. That's what they do. That's how they make a living. And they make very, a very, very good living from doing it. Now, a few years ago, you know, that, that wouldn't have been the case. But again, times are shifting, um, you know, and it is possible now for somebody who's relatively unknown, even for them to have very little or no media experience at all to become a successful blogger and to be, you know, even some bloggers are becoming famous, they're kind of becoming celebrities in their own right. So I think things like social media are helping that shift, um, you know, and give give people exposure, which obviously enables them to be more successful as well with what they want to do. I think you're right. It, it sort of levels the playing field, doesn't yeah, it? Everything, yeah. this entire internet generation levels the playing field. And actually, that segues nice into, I wanted to mention Pouting in Heels, which is your blog, isn't it? It is, so indeed. Tell the listeners about that, because you're famous for Pouting and Heels, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of how the name came about. Um, the Pouting thing is kind of a personal joke in that my family and friends have always told me that I've pouted from a very young age without realising um, and I do have a fondness for very nice expensive high heels so that's kind of where the name came from but um, the blog itself started I was uh, in early pregnancy um, I think I was about three months pregnant at the time and I put my back out which left me unable to walk for about three or four weeks which was just a nightmare it was awful um, and during that time I had to cancel a lot of my freelance work um, because I just I just couldn't take it on that with morning sickness it was just impossible um, and I felt very sorry for myself so I decided to kind of do something positive and set up a blog um, so Pouting in Heels has been going for about two and a half years now, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and it's kind of grown from a personal blog into what I'd say is kind of a women's lifestyle blog, um, which covers everything from motherhood to fashion, freelancing to love, really. So all kinds of topics of interest. It is very much a lifestyle blog and it's not, yeah. not any specific fashion or it's not any specific how to how to pout. How to, well, I, have, <laughs> I think I have written a post on how to pout if people are interested but um, no and people find that strange. I've had a lot of um, other bloggers come up to me and find it strange that I've not defined my blog so it's not um, a mummy blog for instance or a parenting blog uh, or a fashion blog. Um, and the reason I did that is just because, to be honest, I just didn't want to be pigeonholed by one topic. Um, and I wanted to talk about all manner of things. And even though it's not the typical blogging route to go down, it's working for me. So I can't, you know, I can't grumble. I think that's really good advice as well from, you know, sort of spinning that on its head a little yeah. bit. And for the guys out there that are perhaps writing blogs, because it is becoming a really popular, it's becoming a popular, I guess, passive income stream allowing people to yep. build income Definitely. quite easily mm -hmm. um not to not to allude to it being easy because it's not is it but it's actually the advice out there is find a niche and dig into that niche and it is it's sage advice it does obviously work yep but you're proof that actually you don't have to be specific to a, a very very tight niche you can yeah. find something a little broader can't you i think so i mean obviously there are bloggers out there who have a particular niche and they're brilliant at it and because of that they're very very successful um i guess what i would say is if you don't have a niche you need to at least have a distinctive voice so 
I would say for my blog, my uh, distinctive voice is that I'm very much about empowering other women and trying to get women to be a little bit kinder to each other and to themselves. So that's probably my niche, if you like. But in terms of, um, that's more in terms of how I write um, and the way I write rather than my subject matter. So yeah, I mean, you know, having a niche definitely works, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's not the only way to be successful. Certainly not. That's really, it's really insightful from the perspective of people out there that perhaps run a business and mm-hmm. um, perhaps want to create a blog that's outside of their own core business. Yeah. Because a lot of people feel as if, well, if I'm blogging, it's taking time up, I can put that into my business. Yeah. And a lot of people feel as if because they run a business in, I don't know, financial management, mm-hmm. they have to blog about financial management. It's not always the case, is it? You can enjoy something, it can impact the business in other ways. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, to be honest, that, that kind of takes me back. So when I started freelancing um, over four years ago, I did start up a professional blog, uh, which I kind of ran through my professional website. Uh, and I found myself, you know, talking about freelancing and giving PR advice and, and kind of talking about being a journalist, which was all well and good. Um, and was very, it was very helpful. It brought in lots of clients. But again, it didn't allow me. I felt I couldn't talk about things like, you know, high heels or motherhood. Um, I felt that it was restrictive, which is why, another reason why I set Pouting and Heels up. But I think, you know, for me now, um, Pouting and Heels in as well as being a blog which is beginning to earn me money, um, it also brings in lots of other benefits. So it's brought me clients which my professional site hasn't. Um, it's brought me you know, amazing opportunities which have really boosted my profile um, as a freelancer as well as a blogger. So I think, yeah, you know, if, you, if you're in finance, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to blog about finance. Again, it's finding that passion and writing about something which is important to you and that way you know, it'll come across. That's really sage advice, the passion side of it, yep. finding something, because it's easy to naturally write about something that you enjoy, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. bad to being uh, a worker who enjoys going to work. I would imagine it's the same being a writer, you know, and you having gone through the kind of um, the more academic route to become a writer. Yeah. Surely that is really solid advice for someone that is perhaps later in life and wanting to set up a blog or a website or something talking about something that they've perhaps not studied, but they've got experience in. Mm -hmm. It's obviously going to be easier to write about something that you actually love. Yeah, and it comes across, you know, I mean, so I went from having an English degree to being trained to be a a newspaper and magazine journalist. And, you know, the way you write a news story is very different from the way I would write a blog post. And what is so powerful about blogging is the fact that it is about having that personal voice. That's what connects with the reader. So if... If you're writing with passion and you're writing about something which interests you, then that will come across in your writing and that's what ultimately will engage people. Um, you know, and if you're passionate about finance and you work in finance, then that's brilliant to write about that. But if you're not, or there's something else you're passionate about, then I wouldn't say there's any problem in kind of combining the two, really, or you know, or writing about something completely different. That's, it's good to give people confidence that they can do that. That's really, if, if, if people, I'm sure they'll take much more away from this chat than than just that. But if they just take one thing away and it is yeah. that, have the confidence, you just find your own voice in a topic yeah. that you're really passionate about. Mm-hmm. We could end the interview right here and that's really solid advice, yeah, I think. Good. That's, that's yeah, perfect. good. So let's talk about, we've talked about pouting in heels. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's going really well. And we've talked about yeah. where you've come from. What does the future hold for Katie Portman and perhaps Pouting in Heels as well? What's on the horizon? Oh, gosh. Well, it, I mean, you know, from when I started four years ago, it's, it's certainly shifted. So 
when I started, I started with the intention of being a freelance journalist, full stop, um, and then realised that that wasn't going to pay the bills, which is why I took on the PR and marketing side of it. And then obviously the blogging kind of came onto that as a secondary thing. Um, now I find that my blog is making more money than some of my clients, what I would charge my clients, for instance, on a, a small monthly retainer or something like that. So it's continually shifting. Um, I find that I'm still doing lots of PR work, but again, a lot of clients are coming to me and asking me to do write their blogs for them, look after their social media accounts. So I guess really my um, the future's looking more like a, a portfolio career in that I don't just offer one or two things. It can be very varied. Um, you know, and if my blog continues to be as successful or more successful, then I guess I'll probably go down that route, really. That's really interesting. Say. It's sort of trading on Katie Portman skills as opposed to trading on I provide X, Y, and Z, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's people wanting you as a person and yes. you to work alongside them as a partner, which yeah. is it's sort of next level consultancy, isn't it? It's perfect. It sounds like a, a fantastic way to manage a young family and a growing family and, and still keep that very positive career. Yeah, I think so. And it's, um, you know, the, the whole blogging thing has just brought so many different opportunities. It's very difficult for me to say, well, I'd, you know, I'd just be a blogger or I would just be a freelance journalist because so many different opportunities come in. Um, and I think the reason I'm still, thankfully, touch wood, being successful as a freelancer is that I haven't pigeonholed myself again. Um, and I have got a portfolio career in that I offer, you know, a wide range of services. I think if I'd, you know, just offered PR or just offered journalism, I think I would have struggled from time to time. I think that's a key, really, that you can do lots of different things. That, there's an interesting sort of, um, I wouldn't say an argument in there, but I think, mm. it, you, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think that air of generalism at times is much better than an air of specialism these yeah. days. And I think you've, you've sort of nailed that right down because you, it's the old eggs in baskets, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it seems very much to be the, in certain industries, certainly the air of the, sorry, the era of the generalist where you can turn your hand and be good enough at something mm -hmm. to deliver to a very high standard rather than being the finest, the best at one particular thing. You're just very good at a number of different things, which yeah. is, Surely it's more stability, isn't it? It's got to be. It is. I mean, you know, I mean, I would love to sit here and say I am a freelance writer and I just write for magazines and I blog. You know, that is what I would love to do. But I'm also a realist in that I've got bills to pay. I've got daughters to financially support. And if I did just those things, I would. I, I know I, that I would struggle, you know, and it would be very difficult. Um, and it, it, I, it wasn't so long ago I read, um, I think it was in The Guardian, an article and it was a female freelance writer and she was saying that she had started taking on other pieces of work. So, for example, instead of just doing uh, journalism, she was taking on pieces of copywriting. She was doing social media. And I think she was writing for somebody else's blog. And she said it was because, um, particularly, you know, in the kind of, if you want to be a freelance journalist, it's very, very difficult to get enough work to pay the bills because it's a low paid Generally, you know, it's a low-paid job and there just aren't that many opportunities out there to earn a really good living from it. So I think for me, um, yeah, it's been about survival really and that's it, that's what's enabled me to survive and, and still be here. And 
you're obviously thriving off that as well because you are, you evidently talk about it with passion and you enjoy it. You really, yep. the, the, it's not just the writing, it's the communicating. It's it's why we're doing this chat. You know, it's it's the entire mm-hmm. range of communication, isn't it? It's yeah, not just it pen is. to paper. Yeah, mm. it is. And I find that when I have meetings with my clients, so, you know, I might be looking after the PR for a client, but because they know that I can offer other services, even if they're not employing me to do those other services, you know, they're, they're not afraid of coming to me for advice or asking, you know, well, what about social media? Could you give us a little bit of information on that? Or, um, you know, could you give us a little bit of guidance about the blog? They, they like the fact I've got other services to offer, even if they're not necessarily using those services. I think it makes them feel a bit more confident, really, in what I can offer, which helps. It, it, I would imagine it gives them the confidence to understand that whatever you do implement for them, it's not done in isolation anyway. So yes. even... yeah. Even if nothing else, if they don't buy anything else from you, it's just that seal of kind of approval that, okay, if Katie writes a blog post for us, Mm -hmm. we know that it's been taken from all manner of angles and social media has been considered and how this will impact in Google's indexing has been considered and everything around that that goes with it, which is sometimes difficult when you are, if you're a business that's in a position to, to need a freelancer, sometimes you do worry about, well, I do only have... A set budget mm-hmm. so kind of yeah. what can I buy with that you know where do I actually put that time but with you you've kind of got that generalism you can you can provide a range of services yeah and it really maximizes that budget I would imagine for people it does and even just you know the fact that they come to me for a little bit of advice and you know we all know that now that for instance you know PR now isn't just traditional PR it's not just the whole newspapers and magazine routes you know it's kind of looking after social media it's looking at engaging with bloggers it's such you know that it's any kind of marketing now, it's like an umbrella of different services. So, so again, it enables them to kind of tap into that and also to realise that everything should tie in together. You know, there's no point just doing PR if you're not promoting your PR through your social media, for instance. It's that kind of thing, I think, as well. It's a bit more holistic, isn't it? Everything runs yes. together. Like you said, yeah. PR is not necessarily what people think PR is anymore, is it? And, and likewise, marketing is so tied to PR and marketing so tied to it's tied to sales everything is just so close isn't it these days yeah yeah it is i like i like i like the approach from that i I do i like that and i think if i was certainly a business owner looking to appraise marketing budgets that kind of approach would be something that i'd look for definitely definitely that's actually also a really good place to kind of leave behind where you've come from and the business side of katie portman let's talk about katie portman the mum Okay. <laughs> and let's try and figure out how you successfully navigated to, to this work-life balance. So where did you start? When you found out that Elsie was, was making an appearance, when she was on her way. Yep. How did you approach that from, right, now I have a business and I have Elsie coming along? Yeah, it was really difficult, um, in all honesty. So when I first found out I was pregnant, um, that Elsie was on her way, as you put it, um, the first few months, like I say, I, I really suffered from morning sickness, which meant that I had, actually had to cancel um, quite a bit of work that I'd already kind of come in or I had to pass it on to other freelancers because I just was incapable um, of doing the work that I needed to do. Um, so that kind of gave me a lesson that I needed to be much more prepared um, and thoughtful in terms of how I was going to deal with clients moving forward. So I think when I was about four months pregnant and I was beginning to feel a lot better, I did start to take on some work. Uh, and basically, I think I had two clients on a retainer, monthly retainer. So as soon as I'd had that initial kind of 12-week scan, 
they had an email saying, just let you know that I am having a baby. I will be finishing work on this date um, and I will be taking maternity leave. I'm happy to work for you up until that point or, you know, to pass you on to somebody else. So I did that with the clients that I had a monthly uh, retainer with. And then other clients, basically, I just kind of took them on if they were short term. So I did a lot more copywriting, for instance, because it's generally, you know, it might be um, a five day project or a two week project or a project over a few months. So I only took on work, which was kind of short term, but intensive. Um, and again, I just kind of let all my clients know past uh, past clients that I'd worked with and clients that I was continuing to work with that I would be going um, on maternity leave. Um, and then, you know, Elsie was born, uh, I did my maternity leave and then I had a bit of a tricky situation that one of my clients came to me, I think Elsie was, um, if I remember correctly, I think she was four months old and I was intending on having nine months off, absolutely doing no work whatsoever, but a client came to me um, and asked if I would consider doing some monthly features for them for a magazine and because... I knew it was kind of doable writing two features a month. Um, I took the work on. So I just kind of juggled really. So I used to write these features when Elsie was in bed at night um, or when my husband was home at the weekend from work. You know, I just kind of tried to juggle it well. And because it was just a few pieces, it kind of, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It broke me back in gently into the world of freelancing, I think. But it, it was tricky, it's not, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, um, especially when you've got quite a few clients on the go because you, you're mindful that you want to do the very best you can for your clients, but at the same time, you know, your life is changing and you've got to kind of address that. And did you find yourself having to change any mindsets? Did you find yourself having to readjust how you appraised certain situations? I would imagine that's a huge challenge, figuring out where to perhaps prioritise things. Yeah, I mean, the whole priority thing is just, it's so difficult. So my priority as a mum, you know, obviously it's my daughter and her well-being. Uh, so that always had to come first and still does to a certain extent. Um, and I just, I found myself becoming much more careful about the kind of clients that I would take on. So if I knew that a client uh, could be quite challenging and frustrating to work with and perhaps took up more time, took up more of my time than what they should do, then I um, politely passed them on elsewhere and kind of looked at having different relationships with clients uh, and also looked at how I managed my time as well. So so now, for instance, Elsie goes to nursery a couple of days a week um, and then my mum and my husband's mum, her grandparents, have a you know one day each a week, which gives me basically three, three and a half days a week to work um, and that obviously that's when I do my work, but until she gets ill or something like that, so it's it's difficult. It's finding it's finding that balance, um, and again, it's trying to prioritise. So my priority is Elsie, and then of course it's you know it's clients on top of that really. That's a really good point to pick up on actually the client side of things because one of the the worries that a lot of people have, and certainly people listening out there who, mm -hmm. when I was doing the research into excellence, expected as I said earlier the. The work-life balance came up all the time. Yeah, it was always yeah. something that people worried about. And one of the biggest things that, it's almost a lesson that you learn naturally, and you mentioned it earlier on, which is passing clients on 
and yes. kind of just yeah. moving them on to someone else that might be able to service them better because yeah. of, you know, for whatever reason. What was that like, accepting that you probably had to pass on certain clients? Was it challenging? Was it, was it, um, was it liberating? Um, a bit of both, really. I mean, at first it was quite difficult because, you know, I like my clients and you do, you form relationships with them <clears throat> over time and, you know, yet you have a good a good working relationship with them, even though it might be slightly challenging or frustrating at times. So it was difficult, but at the same time, it was also quite liberating to recognize that actually time is short. You know, you've got kind of less time and your time is incredibly precious, more precious. I think when you're a parent, you realize. So you are forced to make tough decisions. And I think when you do make those tough decisions, like passing on a client um, elsewhere, it does feel really good and it actually it forces you to really look at how you work and kind of all nature of your business and I, I found it quite empowering to be honest as difficult as it what it was what it was I think a lot of people go through that anyway regardless of whether they have a young family yeah. or, at, at some point in each business owner's career mm-hmm. you go through that stage don't you of saying well look perhaps these aren't quite paying what they should do in terms of either respect or even financial, you know, there's always yes. something that you yeah. think, well, look, we're just not quite <clears> getting along here. And having the confidence to be able to say, listen, let's just call that a day, you know, mm-hmm. all the best, let's move on and let's find other people to work with. Yeah, It's it's so refreshing sometimes, it's so liberating, it takes things off your mind, you sleep better, you know, yeah. we've, we've all yeah. been there, haven't we? But to see that from someone who is managing a young family and, you know, was, I wouldn't say forced into it, but you had to make that choice because, as you say, you only have a finite amount of time and as much of that has to be spent with Elsie as possible, surely. Yeah, um, yeah. So, Sorry, and I was just going to say, you know, besides kind of spending quality time with Elsie, it's also I've got less time to work, so I want to do quality work. You know, I want to take on the best work, the work that I enjoy, um, you know, working with clients who pay on time, who are respectful, who listen to your professional advice, that kind of thing. It does, it certainly forces you to to analyse everything and, and to make those decisions where perhaps in the past I might have been a little bit scared or, you know, kind of not wanting to take those steps. Um, yeah, it was, it's been good. It's been a good learning curve. Speaking of learning curves, mm-hmm. what else have you had, had to adapt? So where you perhaps had habits in the past or you perhaps worked in a certain way or at certain times or with certain people yeah what else have you had to change that you now look back and think wow this is much better so just off the top of my head the first thing which made a massive difference for me is making sure that when I'm with Elsie I'm not doing work so even though I might not be sat down, you know, I wouldn't write um, a blog post while she's next to me or something like that. But it was little things like when Elsie was, um, you know, a baby still, I would be checking my emails. My emails would be coming onto my phone and I'd be checking them and I'd be replying to them. And then I kind of had this light bulb moment when Elsie, I can't remember how old she was. She might have been maybe, I don't know, 10, 11 months old, something like that. And she just looked at me and said, I hate your phone. I hate your phone with me. Wow. Yeah, because I was. I was checking my emails, you know, I was responding to, you know, social media um, alerts and that kind of thing. And it just made me realize that actually when I'm with my daughter, I should be with my daughter. So when I'm working, I work. You know, that's when I do my emails. That's when I do my work. That's when I do my social media and everything else. And when I'm a mum, 
I'm a mum and I try and kind of ignore my phone going off. Uh, and that's really, really helped. And I think it's helped with the whole work-life balance. So whereas before I'd be, you know, going through my emails at 10 o'clock at night before I go to bed, now I purposefully, I just don't look at them. You know, I've switched off uh, most of the alerts on my phone. So I don't, if, you know, I get some tweets in coming in, then I just, I don't know about it until I go onto Twitter. So I try and define um, work and kind of life a lot better, if that makes sense. I love that. I think that's perfect. There's nothing that winds me up more yep. than seeing someone walking down the road, pushing a pushchair with no awareness of what is going on with that pushchair or the pram or the child yep. and just being so engrossed in the phone. I think it's, one, it's just wildly dangerous, but two, you just think, what is that doing to the relationship between mother and child or father and child and, yep. and even mother and father? You know, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yep. So I think that's, that's fantastic that you do that. That's that's something that I think everyone realistically should be doing anyway. Yeah. I love that. I think that's fantastic. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to do it. It's so easy to just think, you know, and I'm, I'm not perfect. There are days when I still do it um, from time to time, but it's just so easy to think, I'm, you know, I'm just going on my phone, but actually you're not, like you say, you're not there. Your awareness isn't there. And you, you know, really, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, an email is not urgent. You know, it's not critical. It can wait a day or two if need, you know, if need be. Um, you know, and another thing that I've got quite strict about is that I always tell my clients that I work, you know, Tuesday to Friday is when I work. I don't work on a Monday currently. If a client rings me on a Monday, I used to answer my phone. I used to pick up and I'd find myself, you know, trying to be getting Elsie's lunch out and then putting her down for a nap while having a 30 minute conversation with the client, which was never anything critical. It was just, you know, they needed a bit of advice or, um, you know, what, for whatever reason they were ringing for. Whereas now if a client rings on a Monday, I just don't pick up, you know, if they leave a message and it's absolutely critical or urgent, then I'll ring them back. But I just, I refuse to pick up because it's, it's my day off. Um, and I find again, it's just defining, you know, what is life and, you know, being a mum or being a parent and, you know, being Katie, the freelancer. And speaking of sort of saying no to clients, that definitive Tuesday morning, that's when I start work, mm -hmm. Friday afternoon, that's when I finish work. Yeah. For the listeners out there that are sort of worried about drawing that line, for the people that send the emails at 9pm on a Sunday or ring up on Saturday afternoon, what did you find the reaction was? Were the clients reasonably understanding with that the world didn't end did it when you started no. doing that um you know I mean I, I, I do just just think you know I do have one client who does occasionally still ring me on a Monday uh you know and it's just become a bit of a standing joke that on a Tuesday morning they're the first ones that I ring and it's like oh yeah I forgot I rang you on a Monday don't worry about it I personally have had no problems with it um and I actually think Again, I think, well, I'm hoping that there's a shift in attitudes in this thing that, you know, we don't all have to work 24-7, you know, that you shouldn't be sending emails at 11 o'clock at night or feeling you have to respond on a Saturday morning when you've been out all Friday night. It's, you know, again, it, everybody's trying to find that work-life balance. And I think, I think actually some clients quite like it. It takes the pressure off them a little bit. It makes them think about, actually, yeah, we, we don't, if it's urgent, she'll get back to us. If not, you know, it, it's fine. Um, I mean, I read, I can't remember the, 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 the lady's name, the lady who um, created Huffington Post and 
I think it's Adriana, I can't remember her name anyway, but the lady who wrote Huffing or came up with Huffington Post, I know that she's written a book, um, I think called Thrive, which is all about, you know, what we're talking about really, this work-life balance um, and getting away from this, this idea that we all have to be, you know, like hamsters on a wheel and keep working 24-7 when actually we get more out of our work and our clients get more out of us if we're not stressed, if we're not tired, if we're performing at our best, you know, instead of being exhausted and and fraught because you're not sleeping at night and you're working seven hours a day. So I do think there's a shift. Um, and it, it's not easy to say to clients, well, actually, I'm not working on this day. If you ring me this day, I'm not going to get back to you unless it's absolutely urgent. But I think... You know, if you run your own business or you work for yourself, it's important to set those boundaries. And I, I generally find people are respectful of them and don't really have a problem with them. And I would say that if a client does have a problem with it, then maybe you should perhaps pass them on somewhere else. That is so... In the nicest way. <laughs> be very nice about it, of course. Yeah, be very polite and professional. That's so liberating to hear for a lot of listeners out there I would imagine the people that do find themselves checking emails at 11 and then switching back on at quarter past 11 to see if there's a reply yeah and suddenly it's 1am and you know you're tired for the next day and it impacts everything doesn't it it's so it valuable to turn off and have those boxes of time where you're not working and you you're not as connected as we all are invariably these days yeah. because of technology yeah. mm -hmm. how have you found because of the time boxing that you're having to do and you're having to say, look, we're working Tuesday until Friday. Yeah. And of course, things crop up. You've got Elsie who, of course, at times may be ill or yep. there are times she needs, <laughs> you know, maybe grandma or grandpa can't quite take over some of the reins at times and you yep. have to adjust your schedule. Have you found that that's increased your effectiveness in the time that you do have? So if you only have two hours to do something where previously perhaps had four, you still get that done, you get it done to a very high standard. Have you had to adapt in that way as well? Yeah, definitely. So things like, um, I mean, I've always kind of had that because I come from a journalist background and it was very much, this is your deadline. You know, we need that story in. And personally, I tend to work better with really tough deadlines. So if somebody gives me three months to do something, I'll generally leave it. You know, even when I was a student, I would kind of leave it to the last minute. So from my point of view, I work better with tough deadlines, uh, which I think helps. But yes, yeah, certainly, you know, my time now is incredibly precious. So I'm not going to spend half an hour faffing around on social media, you know, and then take forever writing emails and, you know, make myself another cup of tea. I'm very much, you know, I sit down, I have a work diary every day kind of like a to-do list and it's like right from this time to this time I'm working on this or on well with you know for this client and I'm much much stricter um and it and it works you know when you put your mind to it you can do it and just turn off everything else you know shut down the social media uh, windows and stuff like that on your laptop if you finally disconnect from the things that are just noise at times it's amazing what you get done in such yeah. a small period isn't it, it you is. know you can achieve a day's work in three hours very yeah. easily I would imagine yeah very true and for me just thinking um as well I try to have as little meetings as possible now with clients so because my time is very precious you know in the past I would you know perhaps have well I'd you know I'd just be happy to have meetings with my clients all the time but now I find that like most people do that meetings can sometimes run on and run on and sometimes you don't ever come to a 
proper conclusion or things can be a little bit complicated. So, you know, I will always have the initial meetings. Um, and every so often there's a natural time when you feel like you need a face-to-face meeting with somebody. But in general, unless it's an essential meeting, I try not to have them because I just find they can take up so much time out of your working week. Um you know, that it leaves you very little time to actually do the work. So that's that's another thing that I have learned um, is try to kind of limit your meetings and to keep them as short as possible as well. You know, obviously within reason, but, but that's helped too, I think. I think culturally there's something to be said for that because a lot of businesses, and it, it seems to be the higher you get up the success scale, you know, if perceived success is, for example, size of a business. Yeah. Meetings are just sometimes there as a way to feel as if something positive is going on. Yep. And as you say, sometimes you just don't need them. And having the confidence to say, look, guys, do we need to get together about this? Mm. Or can we just thrash this out in two sentences via email or a yep. quick chat on the telephone? Yep. Rather than travelling an hour there, a two-hour meeting and a, an yep. hour back. It's Culturally, that's something that I think a lot of businesses struggle with. And certainly the business people that are more effective seem to have got a grasp on that. And, yeah. and they're yep. very... To a point, they almost come across, I wouldn't say rude, but it's very short, you know, in emails and in, yep. when they turn up in meetings, it's very much, right, guys, what are we getting done? Yeah. You know, it's not, the pleasantries are kept to a minimum, mm-hmm. they're there, but they are kept to a minimum. And it's amplified, I would imagine, by needing to fit five days work into four days and yep. sometimes three days, I yep. imagine, yeah. I mean, you know, I think we all feel that everybody who works themselves or, you know, you, you have a, your own business, it's very much... Again, you know, that thing, that time is very precious and there's never enough hours in the day um, to do everything we want to do. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I love meetings and I love the whole face-to-face thing. I'd much rather have a face-to-face meeting than a phone call, for instance, but it's just, they do take up so much time and they are often really unnecessary, um, I think. And I, I much prefer to go into a meeting and say, you know, quick pleasantries, cup of tea, what do we want to achieve? Are there any problems? What are our, our objectives? You know, and just come out of there thinking, right, we've cracked that. We know, everybody knows where they are. Um, but, you know, we all have those clients who, as lovely as they are, you know, you can find yourself there, you know, sometimes for like nearly a whole day and a whole day is gone and you come out and you're not really quite sure what you're meant to be doing or you've not come to any conclusion for anything. So I think it's it's about being mindful um, and I, I guess being a little bit stricter really with your time. The, uh, the the energy that comes from a positive meeting that's done in 30 minutes with very strict outcomes and very clear objectives yep. is much, much more effective than a two-hour meeting where it's a little bit more meandering. And as you mm-hmm. say, the objectives aren't quite as clear cut. So the energy yep. that comes out of that for everyone, you feel much more positive and you feel like you've actually achieved something. And yep. I think yep. it's something that a lot of businesses are now starting to take note of. And we see more at DMSQD where people are they perhaps want to do Skype, for example, you know, as crazy yeah, as it exactly. sounds. It's yeah, I mean, that's just as good. I mean, you know, why travel for two hours for a meeting if you can have a quick, you know, Skype chat or Google, you know, Google Hangout for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. All right, it might not be as nice or exactly the same, but it's it's doable, isn't it? It's much more doable, um, I think, for people, really. I think the objective's are reached in just the same manner with just as many pleasantries. And you're right, it's not it's not quite as nice, but it's much more effective than a telephone call or yeah, much more effective is. than yeah. a, a, you know, a black and white email, which is sometimes, the medium of email sometimes causes problems on its own, doesn't it? So having yeah. the mindset of, look, there are alternatives to meetings, but it's not 
drop back to just plain text. Yeah. Integrating that kind of thing into any kind of business is going to be valuable for people. Yeah. Again, it's, you know, it's having that balance and it's reading where you are with your clients. So, you know, you might have a client that you have to have a lot of meetings with because you just work better that way. But if you have a client who, you know, you struggle to get hold of or they're always late for meetings because they're in other meetings, you know, it, it's it's just about being creative with how you work with them, I think, to, to get the best outcome from it all round, really. Right, so excellence expected then. We've talked in the pre-interview chat mm-hmm. about... <laughs> How you have, you've nailed the work-life balance, it seems. You've got some very clear boundaries and you know when your working week starts yep. and when your working week finishes. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Elsie doesn't hate your phone anymore. Not as much. <laughs> Not as much. <laughs> but as you know, Excellence mm-hmm. Expect is really about sort of empowering the listeners to take steps themselves yes. and actually integrate, even if it's just one tiny thing away from this chat and integrate that into their workflow to try mm-hmm. and achieve some of that work-life balance success that you've achieved. So I know you've prepared some tips that people can actually take away so I wanted to dig into those for a while okay where do we start what's the, what's the first tip okay so the first tip for the work-life balance I think is really to sit down you know put some space in your diary put you know an hour in your diary where you're going to sit down and really analyze your work-life balance So think about how many hours you work, you know, and not just if you're in an office or doing your actual work, but how many hours you might spend per week doing emails, doing social media, you know, doing networking meetings, etc. Look at your family life or, you know, your life balance and just get it all down there in black and white. So it's blatantly obvious how much time you're spending working or how much time, you know, you're not putting into family life when perhaps you should be. I would imagine they are scary statistics. Yeah, and it's not nice. You know, it's not nice. And again, it's that thing I think lots of people put off because I think we all know we've not really got that balance right. And, it, you know, you're not always going to have that balance right. I don't think there is a perfect balance in all honesty, but it's kind of about keeping the scales on a happy medium and not having one tip in the other, you know, each way. So as hard as it is, and again, you know, finding that hour or so is can be difficult in your diary, but put it in your diary is like, you know, a must on your to-do list and just do it. Just sit down and hammer out where you are with everything so you can see it in black and white because I think it's only sometimes when you do that or you get um, a sharp shot like I did with Elsie telling me that she hated my phone, which makes you realise what you're doing, I think. That's a wake-up call, I would imagine. Yes, so dedicate yes. some time to analysing exactly how you spend your time and whether the scales are tipped in one direction or the other. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm going to do that tonight, actually. Yeah, do it. I'll do it. I recommend back. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tip number two then. What do we have? Okay, so once you've kind of analysed it, think about you know what you want out of life. So for me, um, it's very important that I feel that I see Elsie as much as what I possibly can but at the same time my career is very important to me so Elsie is my priority but I would never let my freelancing go so it's again it's kind of working out what do you want from your life what's doable you know so for me it's working out how many days I'm going to work per week and from those days how much work I can take on and how much money I can earn so it's Again, it's kind of taking 
the first steps and analyzing where perhaps you're going wrong and then drilling down and thinking, okay, what would make me happier? What do I need to achieve in terms of, you know, finance, um, in terms of clients to keep you going uh, and just look at what areas you can change and how you can change them. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And yeah. I think, as you mentioned a second ago, so the, the, the tip there, just to recap for listeners, is think about what you want to achieve and where you want to be to make yeah. you happy. And marrying that with number one, I would imagine, gives you such a good picture of where you are now and where you'd like to be. And yeah. also allows you to join the dots a little bit and say, well, to get from A to B, I need to make these subtle changes or these perhaps quite sweeping changes. Yeah, it is. It's having the... <laughs> It's kind of having the, not the confidence, that's perhaps the wrong word, but it's having the courage, I think, to sit down and think, right, you know, I'm not happy with my work-life balance. Most people aren't. So if you're not happy about it, you need to change it. But you can only change it if you're aware of where you're going wrong. And actually, what do you want out of life? I mean, that's surely that's why we're all working for ourselves is because we have a greater freedom and flexibility, um, you know, with our, with our lives. So... If that isn't working out for you, then you really need to, I would say, just have a have a good hard look and then a good think about where you are and see what you can change realistically. That's really good advice. And I think just those two on their own will affect such a change in people. So dedicate, as I said, dedicating that time yeah. to analyse and then figuring out where you want to be from that analysis and figuring out, because I would imagine that if the, if the scales are tipped one way or the other, you know the steps that you need to take to rectify that. Yeah. But as you say, having the courage to do that is another thing, isn't it? But yeah, it is. Those two two tips on their own are so powerful. And I think if people did that, they'd be on such a positive path yeah. to making that change. All right, so two and one complete. What okay. about number three? What do okay. we have next? Okay, number three, number three. So I would just say um, be strict, you know, be strict with your time. Uh, I read somewhere the other day, and it's so true that when it comes to working for yourself, your time is your most precious commodity. So you can always earn more money, but you can never get back that time that you've wasted. And I think when you have your own business, when you work for yourself, you know, your time is incredibly precious. Um, so just be strict with it. You know, don't don't waste it, you know, going on social media. I mean, I love social media, but it's amazing how much time it can take out of your day, just kind of sending a few tweets and you know, updating your status on Facebook. So just be mindful of your time. Again, think about things like meetings. Are they really necessary? Um, you know, just just be as strict as you possibly can, I would say, with your time and think about it. I think sometimes we just, uh, you know, get up in the morning and just kind of let time pass by. But if you are stricter with it, um, so like going back to what I said previously about you know, so for me in the morning, I have a to-do list and it's very much right from nine till 11, I'm writing a blog post, you know, from 11 till 12, I'll do an hour's work for one of my clients. Then I will make myself have half an hour off to have lunch. It's just about being really strict um, and thinking about how you use it and how you can use it more wisely. I think that's really good advice, being strict with the time and coupling that with what you mentioned earlier on, I think perhaps sort of only about a third of the way into the interview, which yeah. was turn off the connections, turn off the notifications, you know, yes. and it's so easy to get distracted by just the one email that's landed, which turns into a conversation and suddenly yeah. 30 minutes has passed. And, you know, that that is really, really useful. It be, it, well, it's really useful for me just to even go back and say, okay, right, 
now we're going to be editing Excellence Expected. That's what yeah. we're doing now. And we're not yeah. getting distracted on DMSQD work or writing a blog post for something. And yeah. Back to that achievement, you can just get so much done, yeah. so much quicker. I think so. I think it just, it forces you to be more focused. So like, for instance, me, you know, I'm kind of, with emails, I was always like, oh, I must be checking my emails. You know, every every kind of 10, 15 minutes, I must check my emails or, you know, an email would be pinging in uh, into my inbox. And now I check my emails at the start of the day, apply to all my emails um, I also try to keep my inbox as clear as possible. So once I've dealt with an email, it's gone into a folder or it's been deleted. Um, you know, and then I'll check them at lunch and I'll check them at the end of the day and that's it. So I don't have them open all day like I used to do. And that has saved me. I, well, I can't imagine, but it saved me a great, it's probably saved me like an hour a day or something. Just the fact I'm not there, you know, instantly responding to, to things, which generally can wait, I think. It's a change that I've actually recently made very, very similarly. Okay, good. Really useful. Yeah, yeah. I sort of took the steps to turn off all the notifications and I work on a Mac, so it's the notification centre was full of everything from iMessages to emails to tweets to Skype to everything. It was just crazy. Yeah. And I I took similar steps and turned off all the send and receive automatically so I have to manually go and check my mail and I only do it at the beginning and the middle of the end of the day. And it's I I can totally, totally agree with that saves so much time but you feel you feel liberated if you're anything like yeah, I did. you do wow it's such a change because you the illusion of being busy because you're there checking your emails so mm. often it genuinely is an illusion and it's frightening how you do kind of get pulled into this email kind of vortex or social media vortex where you do like you say you just end up wasting so much time waiting for an email to pop in or searching for an email and it's it's quite silly, really. And I also think when you've got all these alerts going on, they just, you know, I could be in the middle of writing a fantastic feature and I've got, you know, this train of thought and I'm writing and it's going really well and then ping, your attention is taken elsewhere and you've lost it. So it might take you, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get back into that train of thought. So like you say, it's just about being more focused, I think. I like that. So tip number three, be strict. Yes, be strict with your time. And if not, you will, you will have a daughter telling you off. Yes, <laughs> making you feel very guilty. And not only that, your phone feel very guilty as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so any more in there? Okay, so let me have a think. Um, again, just be very clear um, that when you're working, you're working. Try not to let work bleed too much into your life. And try not to let life bleed into your work as hard as it is, you know, with things like sickness, etc. So for me, for instance, um, now I'm a mum, I find I have a to-do list of my own. It might be things like I have to pay nursery fees or, uh, you know, make a doctor's appointment for Elsie. I kind of have a work list and I have a life list to-do list. So in the morning, I might give myself 15 minutes to do my life to-do list so I'll ring up the doctors make that appointment you know write a check for the nursery fees whatever and then then I get on with my work and it's the same kind of at weekends I ignore the work to-do list and I, I just get on with living really so it's just defining the two I think sometimes um, and again it's not always possible to do it but it's just about not allowing them to bleed into each other. So your mind just becomes completely confused because you've got 101 things that you need to be doing and and you can't think of which one you need to do first. I think, again, that's really, really useful. And everything that you've said, everything that you've said, everything that you've said, excuse me, (laughs) (laughs) everything that you've said sort of links in 
to the last tip. So, you know, dedicating the time and analyzing the time and figuring out where you want to be and then being strict with that time that you've actually found or you've analyzed. And then the bleed there is perfect because it's not only about being strict with the work time mm-hmm. and actually doing what is most effective during that time, yeah. but it is about that, okay, look, I can't necessarily, even though this will be the best time to go to the bank and pay this check-in, yeah. I'm not doing that because I'm going to write a blog post now yeah. because it's the best time I know I write best at 11 o'clock until one o'clock. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. And that when I work at home, it's so easy to be easily distracted. Yeah, it is. So easy. And it you can is. you can be as strict as you like and say, I will achieve this by this day or by this time. But as soon as something happens, yeah. you know, even the tiniest thing, you can bleed off onto that and suddenly it's pulled you away and you, you've yeah. lost everything, haven't you? Mm. You've got to build your train of thought back up. You've got to get back into the swing of it. So yeah. I think that's really useful for everyone out there. Just don't allow things to bleed across those strict timelines I guess yeah, yeah. And like, you know like we said it's, it's not easy and it's not always possible but it's just I think it's being mindful being mindful of it um and just going back to what you say about working from home I you know that's that's where I work I do work from home and I know for instance that you know I work from home and I can't personally stand mess so you know my my house is open plan downstairs which means you know I tend to work from the dining room table because that's where I'm comfy and the light's really nice it comes in and I'm near the kettle in the kitchen so I can make a cup of tea but at the same time if there's pots on the side which aren't in the dishwasher it drives me mad so again it's it's about being really strict so it's either I put the pots away before I start my work so then they're not distracting me or it's about accepting the fact that actually it's work time and it's just you know, the world's not going to end if the pots aren't in the dishwasher. Um, but like you say, it is, it's difficult It's um, and it's easy to be distracted. But it's, again, it's just that being, being mindful, really. Being mindful and not allowing things to bleed over. Yes, so where possible. Just to recap those tips and for the listeners. Okay. Uh, number one, dedicate time to analysing how you actually spend that time, figuring out what is work and what is life and how much you spend on each. Number two, think about where you want to be and what you want to shape your life into based on what you do and be strict is number three be strict with that time when you've dedicated the time be sure to stick to it yes and just to compliment that tip number four don't allow things to bleed in don't put the pots away whilst you're writing a blog post yep (laughs) i love it i'll do it before i'll do it before (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good place to put a pin in that actually i think there's so much more we can talk about that i think we can revisit on another episode but i think there's so many actionable pieces of advice within that that we can put a, a fantastic pin in that right there. Smash him. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Good. And for you guys listening out there, by all means, head on over to excellence-expected.com to download all of the show notes. And I'll be sure to put in some links to Lynchpin by Seth Godin and Thrive, uh, the book by uh, Adriana Huffington. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. That's the name, yeah. So before we leave, tell people where they can find you online. Uh, so you can find me at uh, katieportman.com or my blog Pouting in Heels at poutinginheels.com. Um, you can also find me mainly on Twitter at Kate L. Portman. Thank you very much. And we are going to put a pin in it there, guys. So once again, please check out excellence-expected.com for all of the show notes. And if you enjoyed the show, head on over to iTunes and leave us a very, very nice review. I'm sure you will love it. And give us five stars if you feel so inclined. 
Don't forget that whilst you're on excellence-expected.com, you can also pick up a free copy of my free ebook, which is all about, actually, tied so closely into this conversation, it's about creating more time to do the things that you want to do, and it does in- in- include a lot of techniques that we've spoken about, actually. Yeah, sounds good. So nip on over there and grab your free copy of that. And until next time, thank you very much, Katie. Thank you. Thank you very much. And listeners out there, thank you all for listening. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you'll excel.